If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3, we're only going to be there a moment, then we're going to be over to James chapter 2. A lot of energy just left this room. <laughs> We've been going through Galatians, and we came to chapter 3, verse 6. And Galatians, as you know, has been talking about justification by faith alone. That you are declared righteous before a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And uh, Paul, in Galatians 3.6, brings up an example of Abraham. Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed, and that's an Old Testament example, before even the death of Christ. But it says that Father Abraham believed God and he was justified. And we've been taking a little rabbit trail for a couple of weeks into James chapter 2. If you want to go to James chapter 2 now, to look at what does real faith look like? What does it do? Because a lot of people will say, I have faith, I, I believe. And yet many are false professions. And the scriptures are very clear that in the end days, especially, there'll be a lot of false faith. So we want to see what the true faith looks like. What does real faith look like? It's unfortunate that that false faith has a tendency to, well, be very appealing, even among churches. We try to minimize the gospel. We try to minimize service, minimize the message. In fact, there was a cartoon some years ago, of a conventional-looking church with a large billboard in the background advertising its ministry. And this is what the cartoon in the, the advertisement said. He said, quote, the light church, L-I-T-E, light. 24% fewer commitments. Home of the 7.5 tithe. 15-minute sermons. 45-minute total worship service. We have only eight commandments. You choose. We use the three spiritual laws. Everything you wanted in a church and less. You know, it's sad, funny, but sad, that many people are looking for the minimum. What's the minimum I I can do? They want almost a stained glass experience. No piercing of the conscience, no feeding of the mind, no opening of the heart, no commitment, no real faith. Just let me feel it. Let me just experience something. Let me just believe. By the way, belief has to be, the power of belief is in the object, not in the sincerity. In the object. True saving faith has its object as the death and burial and the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the object of our faith. It's not enough just to have sincere faith. You can be sincerely wrong. And I believe many are. He is the Lord. We follow Him as the Lord. John Kelvin said this, Faith alone justifies. And I'm going to keep saying this. Faith alone justifies. But the faith that justifies is never alone. Things happen because we have real faith. There is fruit. You can't be a fruitless Christian. That's, that's wrong. It's just unbiblical. 
Now again, I'm not saying that you can't walk away from God and live a sinful life as a Christian. Obviously, that's true. I'm not saying that sometimes your fruit is very minimal and you can't seem to even see. But the point is, is this. If you're a Christian and you're walking away from God, there's going to be conviction. There's going to be a heart that says, I'm going in the wrong direction. There's going to be a lot of things that are happening for God to bring you back. Faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. It's never alone. And that's, that's why I wanted to go from Galatians 3, talking about Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's saving faith. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He was justified by his faith. Now we want to go to James chapter 2, because we want to see how his faith played out. What were the things that happened because of his faith? Now, if you go to chapter 2, verse 14, James asks this very, very penetrating question. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What if someone professes faith, professes salvation, professes the fact that he's a Christian, but he doesn't have works, doesn't have anything in his life to show, there's no fruit? And he asks this, and this is the New American, can that faith save him? And the answer is no. No. That's not saving faith. And then he gives a few illustrations in verses 15 to 20. Like if a person was in need and destitute, verse 16, and one of you says, you know, depart, be filled, be warmed, but you don't give him what he needs. Is that enough? No. You would say, no, that was unkind. You said, you know, like you were empathetic, but you never helped him. Well, faith is going to have something that follows. Just like if I say, be warmed and filled, something's going to follow. At least it should. In verse 17, James says, Thus also faith by itself, in other words, if it has no works, no fruit, it does not have works, is dead. Dead, lifeless. Not true faith. Might be sincere faith, but not saving faith. Verse 18, someone will say, well, you have faith. This is like a hypothetical situation. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Okay, so you have faith. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith, my faith. By the way, he had faith. My faith by my works. This person had faith. He just said, listen, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. And then he gives an example or an illustration from our adversary. Verse 19, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder, they tremble, they're terrified. Demons have good theology, but they're on the wrong side. (laughs) They're in the enemy territory. Just because you can pass a theological test and you can say some things theologically correct does not mean you have true biblical saving faith. It just means that you have some things right. Leading you possibly to salvation but not necessarily salvation. So James is given an illustration to keep point, keeping the point of verse 20. But do you, do you want to... Do you, do you, but do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? There again, he keeps going back to that you know, main thought, verse 14 and verse 17 and verse 20. I mean, if you have faith, true biblical saving faith, you're going to have something that follows. And, and then he gets into the two biblical illustrations of a patriarch, patriarch and a prostitute. Verse 21 is the patriarch Abraham, and then the prostitute, the harlot, verse 24, Rahab. 
Probably won't get to Rahab much, but the point is, is he goes to the Bible and says, let me, let me give you two final illustrations right from the Scriptures, which are the most powerful. Abraham and Rahab. Now think about this. A man and a woman. Abraham was moral. He was a patriarch, the Jewish patriarch. He was admired. He was lifted up. Both the Jews and the Gentiles lifted him up as like their father. Even to this day, uh, Islam faith points back to Abraham. But then we have a, a, a harlot, a woman. She was looked on with disdain, considered insignificant, and yet both were justified by faith. Both had something they did that showed that they had true faith. Both had works that accompanied their faith. You see what the whole thing of James 2 is? By the way, I go to James 2 and spent two weeks on it because this was the main passage of the Reformation. This is where some of the church went astray. Because they said, no, no, you, you have to have both faith and you're also justified by works. And that is absolutely wrong. We're not justified by works. But look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? <laughs> I could see where somebody might say that. Okay, so we've got a problem here because, again, Galatians is very clear, justified by faith alone. And we're going to get back into that. So now what does he mean by justified by works? Again, some of you may say, well, I know what he's talking about. Well, I want you to be able to defend it because I believe in the day we live, we need to be defenders of the word. See, we see in verse 21, the working of Abraham's faith. Or if you have an outline, you might want to put true faith, real faith. Genuine faith, saving faith. And to do this, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. Remember, last week we said sometimes we come to passages we're not really sure of. What do we do? We don't cast judgment on passages we don't understand, but we do have to say, let's, let's compare Scripture with Scripture. Let's not be like Martin Luther who just called James a straw epistle. And I like Martin Luther. I often quote Martin Luther. But when he came to this passage, he says it's like a straw epistle. It doesn't have any weight. What is he talking about? Justified by works. We're justified by faith. The death of Jesus Christ. That's how we're, and that's true. We are just, so what is he, what is James talking about? Well, if you go to Genesis, let's go back to Genesis. You can keep your hand in Galatians, maybe two parts. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at Abraham's life for a moment. Right from the beginning. And we're going to look at imputed righteousness. Again, justified by faith alone. Imputed. In other words, he didn't earn righteousness. Abraham was given righteousness. He was declared it. He was declared righteous. Not made, but he was given God's righteousness. That's what I mean by that. And in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, get, get out of the country from your family, from your father's house, to a land. Now notice the I wills that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those him who curses you. And you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He gave him a promise. And it's the I wills. And he was told... To leave. Leave. 
leaf-er. And he did move. And the promise was affirmed in chapter uh, 13. And we won't go there simply for time. And then in chapter 14, uh, Lot got into some issues. And he had to rescue him with 318 men. And that's the, the time where then Abraham came back and gave tithe to the king of Salem. And then in chapter 15, it says, after these things, the things I just talked about, the fact that God had promised the fact of, of a great nation, a great name, he then would promise that he would have an inheritance, that he would have a family. This was before the child was born. And then after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I said Abraham, it's Abram, until a little bit from here. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. You, you promise all this stuff, but I don't have a child. By the way, he's getting a little bit older. By the way, she's getting a little bit older. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside said, Look towards the heaven, count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. I mean, do you see what he's just done? You know, you're getting older in his 80s, but, what you, but you're not going to, it's not going to be Eleazar. It's going to be someone from your own body. You're going to have a child. And this is what it says. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it, he being God, accounted it to him for righteousness. He was told he would be a great nation, chapter 12. He he was told in chapter 13 he would have descendants. God said it. And what that word believe means is that Abraham said, because of you, who you are and your character, I believe you. I trust you. I'm certain about it. That's what he's saying. I I am certain about what you have said, that it it will be true. And and God credited to him as righteousness. This is the first instance in Scripture where believe is used. It's huge because it was used of Abraham. He believed. And and then uh, Paul picks up on that and quotes it in Galatians 3, which we're studying. He does it in Romans 4. In the Epistle to the Romans, and he also does it in, and James does it in James 2. That's a huge passage right there. He believed what God said, and he accounted, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. He reckoned it, he, he imputed righteousness to Abraham because of belief, because of faith. Because of faith. And to, uh, to cement it, he put, he, he had uh, Abraham do this. Look at verse 8, and he said, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? In other words, make me a covenant or something. I believe you will, but help my unbelief, I guess. I don't know if I'm right in saying that, but he asked, how shall I inherit it? I mean, I, I believe it, but how is this going to work? And he said, uh, get a heifer cut in half, a goat cut in half, a ram, turtle dove. You know the story. He puts it... And then verse 12 says, A deep sleep fell upon Abram. But then it says, verse 18, On the same day, uh, let's see here. Verse 17, It came to pass when the sun went down in the dark, 
And behold, there appeared a smoking oven, a burning torch represented God, and that passed between those pieces. On that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. And then he goes through that. And what, what it was is they would, and this was very common, by the way. If a person wanted to make a covenant with a person, another person, two parties, they would take the animals and, and literally cut them in half and put it, make a, like a path. And the idea was this, that as I walk through the path with my, the person I'm making the commitment to, that I am holding to this co- covenant, this commitment, and if I don't, you can do to me what you did to those animals. Okay? Now, the only thing is, who walked through? Was it Abram and God? Is that true? Just God. Which means it's unconditional. In other words, God said this, I will hold to my word. It will happen. I have given you this land. And you will have descendants that will inherit this land. And Abraham was blessed. By the way, this was uh, 14 years before his circumcision. This was hundreds of years before the law. I say that because it wasn't works. It said Abram believed God and it was accounted him for righteous. God passed through. God was the one that justified and uh, made him righteous. Now, we, we do have an issue, though. Um, what does this word justify in James chapter 2 mean? I, I'm going to go back to Gla- or Genesis in a moment. But what does this word justify mean? Well, again, there, there's two meanings to the word justify. Same exact word. The first word is as we've been studying Galatians chapter th- uh, 1, 2, and 3. That justify means to be declared righteous. Declared righteous. Man is justified by faith. Like 2.16 uh, says. But the other way that it's used is proof of righteousness. Now, this is, it's like vindication. Vindication. In 1 Timothy 3, it talks about Jesus Christ, that He was revealed in the flesh. He was, literally the word is, vindicated in the Spirit, declared righteous in the Spirit. And what uh, Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 2.15, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 3.16, what he's talking about is, as the Lord Jesus Christ went through His temptations and his trials, and finally his crucifixion, and then resurrected. He was vindicated. Everyone was saying, you're not the Son of God. Your death doesn't mean anything. But once he was, he was perfect through his temptations, perfect through his life, he died on the cross, and then that glorious day came after his burial that he resurrected, and he was vindicated. Everybody, the world knew, at least if they had their eyes, spiritual eyes open, that he was indeed the Son of God, the perfect sacrifice, and God was pleased with the sacrifice because God raised him from the dead. He was vindicated. It was proof of who Jesus Christ was. That's what James is talking about in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? What do you mean justified by work? In other words, this next sentence. What happened with Isaac showed that he had true faith. It didn't make him righteous. It showed that he had righteousness. So we go from imputed righteousness. Let's, let's look at practical righteousness. Uh, if you're in Galatians, no, oh, I keep saying Galatians. It starts with a G. Galatians and Genesis both start with a G. That's hard. That's kind of like with my own family when I'm trying to get one of my kids. I have five boys that all start with C. Very difficult. 
Caleb, Carson, and I usually get to the last one and finally get it right. Come here. Okay. Well, let's go from uh, chapter 15 where he is declared righteous. Let's look at a couple things. In, in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah take things in their own hands. Abraham has a child with Hagar. You know the story. Don't ever take things in your own hands. By the way, he was 86. Then in chapter 17, God appears to Abraham and rejects Ishmael as the heir. Not going to happen. By this point, he's 99. I'm just trying to give you... So Ishmael is 14, 15 years old. Chapter 21 of Genesis, Isaac is born. The true heir, Abraham is 100 years old. Which is... A miracle, but then Sarah, what is she, like 90-some? I mean, that's a miracle. But anyways, that's the heir. And he banishes, because of God's direction, Hagar and Ishmael. And Ishmael, by the way, are, the, are, are, are all the problems that Israel is facing right now. What's amazing is... Ishmael's tribes, and he did flourish because it was from Abraham, and God did even bless Ishmael and his tribes. They own 99%, 99 99.9% of all the land that's all in the Middle East and Upper Egypt and all that. I mean, that's all Ishmael. And Israel, Isaac, Jacob, only own about one-tenth of one percent of all the land. It's kind of interesting. We're going to go look at that in a couple weeks. But look at chapter 22. Now, Isaac is born, chapter 21, and then 22. And this is showing that Abraham's faith was real. And it came to pass, verse 1, chapter 22. After these things, all the things I just mentioned to you, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abram, Abraham. By the way, he tested him not to try to make him to fail, but to show who that his faith was real. That's what the testing was about. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. By the way, only. Ishmael is gone. Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. This is easily the most shocking command ever given to any human being by God. Isn't it? I mean, isn't it? This is the most shocking. But look at what he did. What did his faith do? First of all, it was immediate. Verse 3, And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, he split the wood, burnt offering, arose, went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place afar off. Okay, so he, it was immediate. Rose up early. If you were told that, would you, would you do it immediately? Probably would have looked at the clock. Oh, it's 2 o'clock already. Well, I just think I'll wait till next, tomorrow. Not Abraham. God said it. He did it. It was based on faith. Look at verse 5. And Abraham said to his young man, this is as on the third day lifted up, saw the place afar off. And he said, this is what he said. And stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder, worship, and we... We'll come back to you. His obedience was based on faith. We will come back because he knew that this was the promised son. I don't know what's going to happen between leaving and coming, but I will be back and I'll be back with him. 
True faith, true saving faith is obedient, immediate obedience, but it's based on faith. In fact, Hebrews 11 even says that, you know, that God is the one that resurrects the dead. It might have been in his mind, I'm going to sacrifice him, and then he will rise from the dead right there. But we will come back. Notice also it says, I w- we will worship. That's proper attitude. Our, his obedience, his faith drove him to a proper attitude. It wasn't just immediate. It wasn't based just on faith. But there was a proper attitude. We're going to worship. I'm going to worship the God who has called me. Without challenge, without complaint. And then if you go from verses 6 to 12, look at just all the verbs. Very active. So Abraham, verse 6, took the wood, took for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, took the fire in his hand, went up uh, and, and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. He said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Just a young guy. I mean, we're going to have a burnt offering here. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Do you see the faith there? Because true saving faith has faith in obedience, through obedience. God will provide Jehovah Jireh for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Look at the verbs. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar, placed the wood in order, bound Isaac, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I mean, can you imagine that? That's what true faith is, though. True faith believes in what God says and will act obedient according. Faith is revealed in the actions, in the works. It wasn't partial obedience. It was complete obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. This is complete obedience. Warren Wearsby said this, Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. Faith, guess this, faith is obeying in spite of consequences. I, I will follow you. I don't understand the consequences, how they're going to play out, but that's immaterial. You have told me to go, I will go, in spite of consequence. I, I trust that we, we, we don't become, you know, rationalistic about this. We rationalize. Well, you know, I know I should give, but. I know I shouldn't lust, but. I know I shouldn't be angry, but. I know I shouldn't covet, but. I know I should have a more consecrated life, but. I should be praying, but. You know, we but everything. Everything, ah, but. Well, you know. No, no, Abraham was told he got up early. I will, we will worship. We will come there. We'll leave and we'll come back. God is faithful. And do you see why in James chapter 2, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son on the altar? Yeah, he was justified. He it was verified. It was vindicated. He had true faith. What what was said back in Genesis fifteen verse six was proved true thirty years later when he offered Isaac. 
I think it was 30 years. Let's move on because of time. Verse 22, Do you see that faith was working together with His works? And by works, faith was made perfect? See, faith was working with His works. In other words, this faith was being perfected. The word perfected is complete or goal. When God saved Abraham, He saved him for good works. In fact, that's what Ephesians 2 says. For by grace we've been saved through faith. By grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of... And, and we have been saved what? Oh, I, you know, I should never partially quote something and I lose it. Here, let me, let me give you the last part. We've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, but then chapter 2, verse 10 says this. This is huge because for every Christian, this is, this is you. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Something's supposed to happen. Not just saving you, well, I'm you know, on my way to heaven, I can live for myself now, and you know, I'm, I have my fire insurance, I'm not going to hell. No, God saves you to show Himself mighty. God saves you to produce good works in your life. For Abraham, He saved him 30 years later. I, or, uh, sacrifice Isaac. By the way, there was a number of things along his life that showed he had true faith, but that was the one that was picked in Scripture as the, 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 the greatest of all the trials that Abraham went through. It was perfected. That word perfected is in the passive Okay, so in other words, in James chapter 2, when it says the faith was working together with us and the works of faith were made, was made perfect, that's passive. That means those were done through God. It wasn't that Abraham was generating it. It was that God was generating it through Abraham. I mean, I love that. It's passive. God did it through Abraham. God showed that his faith was perfected. It's not up to me. I just have to be obedient. It's like a tree. You go out and you see apples on the tree. The fruit shows that it's an apple tree. Okay? The fruit shows what it is. In fact, it's interesting. I read four, five different commentaries that all said the exact same illustration. Take a tree and the fruit vindicates what type of tree it is. And it's the same way in your life. Your fruit vindicates that you have true saving faith. Look at the last, first part of verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. Again, what had happened 30 years earlier in Genesis 15 was now being fulfilled. That he indeed had true faith, true saving faith, that he was indeed uh, justified, made righteous. This faith, by the way, is again centered on God. He knew who God was. And then he, it says, uh, second part of 23, that he was called the friend of God. And Abraham believed God. It was accounted him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. Isn't that great? He was called the friend. He was, would you like to be called the friend of God? That word friend there is uh, philos. Or philo, yeah, philos. Not agape. It just it means one who shares a love with another based on mutual held interest. A true friend. Abraham was a true friend of God. What's great about that is Jesus said this: "You are my friends 
if you do whatever I command you. He actually calls us friends. In fact, he goes on, John 15, verse 15, No longer do I just call you slaves. By the way, we're still called slaves. For a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, I call you slaves because I'm still the Lord. But I'm going to call you friends because I'm going to let you in on all the, all the blessings and all the understanding. I'm going to show you, not all understanding, I'm going to give you a, a snippet of the understanding. We don't know everything. We're finite. But God says, or Christ says, I'm going to, I call you friends because you have faith in me. And just like Abraham had faith in God and Jehovah and was called a friend, because you have faith in me, you understand me, I call you friends. I call you friends but if you, do all the th- if you do the things I tell you, because if you don't do the things I tell you, why are you calling me a friend? Why are you calling me that, you, that, that, I'm, that you're saved? Real faith is going to produce obedience. Verse 24, this is the conclusion. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, what does he mean? In other words, any person that has true faith will have works. It's not going to be alone. It's not going to just say, it's not going to be easy believism. It's not going to be, well, yeah, I have faith, but then you live like the world, you live like the devil. We know this, that if a person has true, biblical, justifying, saving faith, there's going to be something that accompanies called fruit. And that fruit validates the faith. You've got to have fruit. That's all that James is trying to say. See, whereas, whereas Paul in Galatians was defending justification by faith alone, James has taken up this issue with these people that are running around with false profession of faith and thinking somehow they're saved just because they professed. And James says, listen, let's even look at an Old Testament patriarch. Well, Abraham, his faith made him go to Mount Moriah. And then he takes up Rahab, which we won't even look at. But the point was she had faith too. She was willing to hide the spies, not expose Israel's plan. She had obedience. Well, let's conclude as we come to the Lord's table. Salvation is by faith alone. I I mean, I want to say that over, because we've just seen in the text, justified by works, but we have to understand that what he's saying is vindicated. That true faith is not dead. True faith is alive and it produces fruit. And it's going to be, because that's what we're called to, good works. Good works don't get you saved, but good works should accompany the saved. If you go to Hebrews 11, you'll see three different, I mean, you'll see these, uh, I, I left them in your outline, conclusions. Real faith will always produce radical results. Is there radical stuff in your life happening? By the way, if you're just wanting to get away from sin, that's radical. If you are convicted, that's radical. Real faith will always produce radical results. By faith, Abel, this is Hebrews 11.4, Abel offered unto God, and that was a radical offering. Cain's was rejected. By faith, Noah prepared and built an ark for salvation. That's pretty radical. Years and years building this thing, and everybody's like, what is he building that for? We don't see any. What do you you call it? Water flood. By faith, Joseph spoke. By faith, uh, Moses refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. That would have been an easy life. Just be called this. Refused. That's radical. By faith, 
He chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather to enjoy rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. That's radical. Verse 33 of Hebrews 11. By faith who by faith conquered kingdoms performed acts of righteousness. Oh, look at this one. Were stoned. That's radical to go to your grave being stoned because of your faith. Sawn in two, they think that was Isaiah. You know, you're on the board and they're ready to cut you in half and no, I believe and I will not give that up. That's pretty radical. Who were tempted, who were put to death with the sword, who went about in sheepskins and goatskins, were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. What is it? What were you saying? If you have real faith, you are infused with a mighty power which is shown, will show itself in good works and will continue to do so. It will continue to do. We might, by the way, we may dip. We may stumble. But if it's God working in you, you will get up. So number two, real faith will struggle with the flesh. By the way, Abraham lied before being redeemed and lied after being redeemed about the same situation. His wife, not being his wife, but his sister. Remember that? He did it with two different occasions. We're not saying that Abraham was perfect. He did struggle. And I think you'll see the same thing in your life. I know you will. Paul said, the things that I wish I would do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Romans 7. Finally, real faith, this is the, this is the key to real faith, will persevere. Revelation 2 says this, To whom who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden, to him who overcomes. We will be overcomers. If you have true faith, it's, it's because it's, I didn't create the faith, God gave it to me, I will end. And if you find someday that John Prince left the faith, rejected Christ, just know this, he didn't have real faith. I didn't lose my salvation, I never had it. God forbid I do that. I've asked the question, will I leave you, Lord? What will it take for me to leave Christ? And he says, you know what? What I have started in your life, I will finish. And I'm confident of this. Because if it was left to my brothers, I think there would be things that if I was about ready to be sawn into, I might want to stumble. But if it's real faith, you'll finish to the end. Do you see how that works? So the point is this, and this is a very sobering reality, that all who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be saved. Wait. That all who profess faith in Jesus Christ will not be saved. It's not the profession, it is the possession of Christ. Just because you profess doesn't make it real. I say God forbid in the right sense. I God forbid that any of you, or myself included, make a profession that's not real. It's the possession of Christ. It's the fact that He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I put my faith and trust only in Him. He is the Lord. You know that He is the Lord. I had a chance to share with a college kid this last week. Actually, a few chances, but this one particular one. Because when you say Lord, you're talking obedience. If He is Lord, then obey me. That's what He says. In, well, that's what He said in John 15. I call you my friends if you obey me. He's the Lord. He's the King. Boy, we sang so many songs. I was like amazed. Every song that we sang talked about Christ as Lord, King. It's His kingdom. We are going to have troubles in this world, but He's the Savior. I mean, it's just amazing to me that how that all came together because that is the point of saving faith that we now follow Jesus, who is Lord. 
We come to the table, the Lord's table. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Are you not only in the faith, but are you walking with Christ? Don't take the table in an unworthy manner. Corinthians says you may bring uh, judgment on yourself. Some are sick. Some even have died because they take it in an unworthy manner. I was telling about uh, situations last week. I uh, witnessing to a man, a man came. He actually came to me. That's great. You know, it's great when they come to you asking questions. Anyways, uh, and um, said he came from a crazy background, different religions. At the moment, he was following in one particular religion, non-Christian religion. But anyways, he said, I want to know about uh, Christianity. I may want to convert. So I talked to him. This, is, this was the interesting thing. He was sitting there, and I was talking about, I, I ended up going through the Romans road, all of sin, Christ is the Savior, and um, God is holy, and you need to be forgiven. And he, and, uh, in Romans 6, where it says, the wages of sin is death, understood that. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I said, and, and, and that's Lord, that's Master. That means if you follow him, you have to obey him and reject all, he, all others. He got up out of his chair. Never seen that happen. It's like, you know, I don't want to put you under a misunderstanding. I, I'm not following this. I, I'm not going down this path. It was just like, Lord, it hit. It's either him or anything else you want. But if it's him, you follow him. Are you following him? Are you obeying him? Do you have Abraham's faith type of faith? Let's bow our heads as we go before the Lord's table. Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts. We live in a world that is very me-centered doesn't believe in absolutes, doesn't believe in right and wrong, certainly doesn't believe that one person is king of kings. And yet as believers, we believe you are the king of kings, that you are the Lord and we need to obey you. We know, Lord, it doesn't save us, that it's faith in you that saves us, but we want to serve you. It's a fruit of our faith. I pray now as we partake in your table we, that we would all proclaim from a pure heart that your sacrifice was sufficient and that we are seeking to walk with you and walk with one another. Lord, I pray that we would not take this lightly. Lord, guard us against the worldly influences that keep pressing in on us, somehow convincing us or trying to convince us that Christianity is just an add-on. That we can obey you when it's convenient. I pray that we would truly be your servants, your slaves, in the right sense. That we would follow you and obey you as we have just been given an example through Abraham. So as our hearts are prepared now, we ask that we would partake in a manner that is worthy of you. In Christ's name, amen.